welcome to an inspirational teaching by our guest speaker of Adonai Church, Bangalore. We hope you enjoy this teaching. Today we are going to look at how to pray effectively. Alright? Effective prayer. Actually, it is not by me, it is by Pastor James, chapter 5, verses 15 to 16. <laughs> And it's this particular verse that today is going to be the subject of our study. This particular verse alone. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another. What is the meaning of this? Confess your trespasses to one another. It's talking about our hurts in relationship. Even between husband and wife, there are hurts. In fact, there are quite a lot of it. You know? Because they are so close. Amen. So close. You know? So, they hurt each other. You know? And God calls us to live in good relationships. In the church, in the workplace, everywhere. We have to major on good relationships. So, the first point, you know, in this what is the meaning of effective prayer? There are four particular points. The first point is, what is the prayer of faith? Right? The second point is that we, our lifestyle must be having good relationships. If we want our prayer to be effective, our relationships with one another has to be good. Understand? Has to be good. All right? So, if this horizontal is, does not work, something is wrong with the vertical as well. You understand? It's connected. So confess your trespasses to one another. We hurt each other with words, with this, with that. You need to go back, humble yourself and say, ah, look, man, I, I spoke rashly. You know, I spoke rashly. Uh, I, I was out of, out of place when I spoke to you. And sometimes, you know, I speak a bit offhand. You know, I didn't mean it, but it comes out with my wife. And the poor thing gets crumbled. You know, with certain words of mine. And I remember, you know, years and years ago, before I was born again, you know, I spoke some words harshly to my, to my nephew. And till today, I know he suffers from those words. And how many times I've apologized to him and this and that. But he suffers. You see, our words have power. So when we speak, we, the Bible says that you know, no unwholesome word should come from our mouth except what is there to build another person up. And so our words must be careful. So anyway, but what I want to tell you, when we hurt each other, we need to confess our sins. We need to say, look, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry. Because if we want our prayers to be effective, there are four points. One is the prayer of faith. The other is relationships. And we go further. He says, the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man. Right? The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man. So our prayers must be earnest and effective. You know, effective fervent. Fervent must be fervent and earnest. Right? So what's the meaning of fervent prayer? We're going to look at that. And of a righteous man, that means we must pursue hard after righteousness. We have to pursue hard after righteousness. Now, we all have weaknesses. And one of the greatest emotional needs that we have is that our Father 
continues to love us despite our weaknesses. He continues. That's one of the greatest emotional needs we have. Because when we fall, we flog ourselves. We stand in a corner. We punish ourselves. But the Father said, look, I love you. Come back to me. I love you. So, but we don't take our lifestyle and make it loose just because the Father loves us. We have to pursue hard after righteousness. Because the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man or woman, okay, of a righteous person, that is the person that follows hard after righteousness. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. Right? He says, and the prayer of faith, which we're going to talk about, then verse 16, confess your sins, right? And then he talks about the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man. The righteous man, that means we follow hard after righteousness, right? And then he says, such a prayer will avail much. And that I want. I want my prayer to be effective and avails much. Avails much in my life, in my family life, in my church life, in the life of the city, in the life of the nation. Because our God is big. Our God is big. I mean, He is really big. And He loves us passionately. He loves us passionately. And with Him, when we pray, He is so big, He can make a difference in the world through your prayer. Even though we are weak people, we are small people, yet He can use us. And He used Elijah, mind you. Let us look at the next verse. And Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. You think he's a great prophet, but the Bible says he was with a nature like ours. He came from the Adamic race, by near. He didn't come from Mars. He came from Adam. And he had a sinful nature. Right? He had a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly, right, earnestly, that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. Boy, that was an effective prayer. That was a mighty prayer. And then he prayed again. And the heaven gained rain. And the earth produced its fruit. Mighty prayer. That was a mighty prayer. Can you imagine? And he was just like us. And this particular example was given to us because Pastor James wants to tell us that you can be effective in your prayer. You understand? You can be effective. So, how can I be effective like Elijah? Four points. First point, we must have a prayer of faith. Right? Second point, our prayers must be earnest or fervent. We must be fervent. So we're going to look at what's the meaning of prayer of faith and what it means to be earnest or fervent and what it not means to be earnest and fervent. And the third is it must be accompanied by a lifestyle of good relationships. Must be. See, if you're going to fail here, your prayers are not going to be effective. And my prayers won't be effective. So we got to, we got to make every effort 
to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Absolutely. Make every effort. If you have hurt somebody, go and say, I'm sorry. I spoke out of turn. Out of turn. I spoke rashly. Apologize. Because this thing has to be clear. Right? Husband and wife, especially. The husband and wife prayers are very powerful. I can tell you that much. Very, very powerful. Because they're so close and they can have a very good relationship and then their prayers are very effective. One day we look into that. Right? That, and it must be accompanied, fourth point, by a lifestyle that pursues hard after righteousness. Right? The fourth point, it must be accompanied by a lifestyle that pursues hard after righteousness. It must be a constant warfare against sin. I'm not saying that God will punish you if you have weaknesses, but we all have weaknesses, all of us, all of us. We have weaknesses. Confess your sin, get up and say, God, I don't want it. I have a constant warfare. I'm not going to coast with wickedness. Coast means chalta. Okay, everybody does it, yaar. Everybody. Come on. That's known as coasting. Understand? Everybody does it. I mean, you got a bribe. You got to do this. You got to do that. Coasting. You know, it's coasting. God doesn't want us to coast. He's a holy God and, and, and He calls us to be holy. Of course, we have weaknesses. Get up. Start your walk again. Don't punish yourself. Repent. We'll talk about that more. But I'm not going to talk about good relationships because you know, you understand what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm going to talk so much about pursuing hard after righteousness, except in one or two sentences that will come later. But you understand what I'm talking about. You cannot compromise on these two points if you want your prayers to be effective. You understand that? You cannot compromise on these two points, on a third and fourth point, if you want your prayers to be effective. So, today, if you have got some people who you have hurt, Think about going and saying sorry. Think about going and saying sorry. You know? Say, look, I'm sorry. I said those words. You know? Don't, don't make excuses. You know, it happened like that, and this way, that way, therefore I said that. Forget that. Just say I'm sorry. Finished. Okay. All right. Now, but if you make these four points, if you stick to these four points, James says, your prayers will avail much. It will be effective. It will make a difference in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of your church, in the life of your city, in the life of your nation. It is going to avail much. Elijah, his prayers availed much. It affected the whole nation of Israel, right? And God wants us to have effective prayers. He wants our prayers to be effective. Okay? And so, you know, I'll just read out something first to you. You see, husband and wife, he says in 1 Peter 3, 7, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing may hinder your prayers. So, you know, if you fail there, your prayers are being hindered. I mean, you know, that's what God says. So make every effort to patch up with your spouse. Now, it's husband and wives. Even the wife can hurt the husband. All right? 
both ways. So make every effort, but make every effort to live at peace. Say, I'm sorry. You know, you mean so much to me. You're a gift of God to me. You know, keep speaking words of life into your spouse. And uh, God will see it and will honor your prayers. All right. But look at the effectiveness of prayer. Give you a picture of what is taking place. In Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. And when he had taken it, yeah, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. And each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now, your prayers and my prayers are in heaven, in that golden bowl of incense. And see what happens to that golden bowl of incense, which are your prayers and my prayers. And Revelation chapter 8, verses 4 to 5. And the smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hands. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Isn't that powerful prayer? Well, your prayer and my prayer can make such a powerful impact on the earth. And you know, you don't have to be silver-tongued like some, we have some wonderful people over here who are, they can pray so smoothly, you know, and I really look at them and say, wow, what a way they pray. But I can tell you one thing, those silver-tongued people of prayer, they pray only 1% on the stage. 99% they pray at home softly. You understand? And so, don't worry about the silver-tongued people of prayer. They are very good. They lead us in prayer. That's their gifting. Right? But your prayers may not be as silver-tongued, but they're equally powerful if you have these four points going. All right? If you have these four points going, your prayers are effective. Right? Whether you're eight years old or 80. In fact, the revival that took place in Hebrides was done by two 80-year-old ladies. One was blind. It's a fact. They're very weak. They're walking like that. Like that. 80 year old. And they were praying. And a revival took place in Hebrides in, in 1950. So, you see, they were effective prayers. Okay, however weak you might be, your prayers are effective if you have these four points going. You understand? So get these four points inside your very spirit. And we're going to look into it. And then you will be finding, you will be equipped to pray effectively. We'll talk about the first point, the prayer of faith. So, the prayer of faith has five components. Okay, I'm just mentioning those. Right? The first component is that Jesus has authority over sin, sickness, and Satan. He has all authority. Right? You've got to believe that. That he has authority. He's got the keys of hell and of death in his hands. Satan does not have it. Who has it? Our Lord Jesus has it. He has taken it from Satan. He says, I got the keys of hell and of death. Hades and of death. Satan. Right? I got it. So if he has got it, he has got all authority. And so the Bible says in Matthew 28, 18, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. You've got to believe that thing. But when you pray, you've got to believe 
that Jesus has all authority. Okay? The second thing, prayer of faith would be, the blood of Jesus qualifies weak people like us to enter the throne of grace boldly. All right? The blood of Jesus qualifies us. It's not anything else that qualifies us to enter the throne of grace. It's only the blood that qualifies us. And so if you're a believer, you can enter the throne of grace boldly. For what purpose? In Hebrews 14, 6, 4, 16, it says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy for our past and grace for our future. Right? So you've got everything covered. Everything covered. Mercy and grace. So we can come before the throne of grace. The devil says, but you know, you did this. Yes, I did it. I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. Forgiven. Mercy. All right? We can enter the throne of grace boldly to find mercy for our past, grace for our future. We can enter the throne of grace. So that's the second thing we have to put our trust in. Right? The prayer of faith. The third thing is that the Father's desire and will is to bless us. That's His desire. It's not given here, but I'm telling you, in Isaiah 30 verse 18, it says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you. I mean, that's His heart. He longs to be gracious to you and me. Why? Because He loves us the same way He loves Jesus. And you know, Jesus can enter the throne of grace boldly. So can you and I. He can enter. He's a high father. Come in, son. What is it? Same way he calls you. Come in. What is it? Because he loves you the same way he loves Jesus. Same way. I mean, that's God's word. Absolutely. So you can enter the throne of grace boldly. And it is his desire to bless you and me. Understand his heart. His heart is to bless you and me. So let us look into the word. Psalm 103, verse 2 to 5. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, whom redeems your life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Wow, that's a father's heart. That's his heart for you and for me. Believe that, brethren. Believe that, beloved. That's his heart for you and for me. That's his heart crying out. He says, look, I have paid for your sins. My son has paid for your sins. I want to bless you. That's his heart. I want to bless you. I long to be gracious to you. Come up, my dove, in Song of Songs. Come up, my dove. Show me your face, for your face is lovely. Come on. I want to hear your voice. Come up. Come up. You see, that's as hard for you and for me. And then, in Jeremiah 32, verse 38 to 41, they will be my people and I will be their God. I will never stop doing good to them. Never. I will rejoice in doing good to them. That's his heart. With all my heart and soul, my God. He's got a big heart. He's very big. Our Father God is very big. And He says, with all my heart and soul, I want, I rejoice in doing good to you and to me. So these are the foundations upon which our 
prayer of faith can rest, but we will go further. The fourth point is, I told you there are five components of the prayer of faith. I said the first component is, Jesus has all authority, Satan doesn't have. Second point is, the blood of Jesus qualifies weak people like us to enter the throne of grace. The third point is, the Father's desire is to bless us. The fourth point is, you've got to pray according to God's word. Right? We must be on the same wavelength as God. Right? No looking at London and talking to Tokyo. We have to look at London and talk to London. You understand? Okay? So, no, no, no looking London, talking Tokyo. We got to pray according to God's word. 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of Him. All right? You've got to pray according to God's word every day, and you will see God answering your prayers. Right? And as you pray, God and you are on the same frequency. You understand? No looking London, talking Tokyo. Same frequency now. Right? And He answers your prayers. He answers your prayers. You got the point? Now, the fifth point is where the rubber hits the road. Right? That's the fifth point. The fifth point is you must pray with faith and confession. Why I say the rubber hits the road? If you believe the first four points, it will show in the practice of your fifth point. All right? If you actually believe the first four points, it will show in the practice of the fifth point. All right? So, Pray with faith and confession what is released in the spiritual till you see it in the natural. God's word is released in heaven. But you've got to bring it down on earth with your prayer and confession. And confession. You know, we look into that. The, one of the fathers of faith, or apostles of faith, is Kenneth Hagin. And, you know, I learned a lot from all these people. I mean, these people are apostles, and I learned a lot from them. So often I go on YouTube. Previously, we didn't have all these facilities, but now we have it. And so we can glean from all these people who have gone before us, and they are wonderful people of God. Kenneth Hagin's lifestyle was absolutely spot on, you know. And uh, so I learned a lot from him. But one of the big things that he teaches is on faith. And his major verse, which I think he must have preached over a hundred times, maybe over 500 times, is in Mark 11, 22 to 25. This is what Jesus said. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. I tell you the truth. If anyone says, if anyone says to this mountain, what's a mountain? Big problem. Understand? Immovable problem. Mighty problem. A problem that sort of it blocks your entire vision. All you can see is this mountain. Nothing else. You can't go around this mountain. It's so big. It captures everything what you see. And he says, you must say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea. And does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, 
it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. You have got to believe that it came from heaven. It has to be from the Word of God. It came from heaven. And after some time, maybe some other time, I keep on speaking on this. It has to come from heaven. It can't be your own word. This is not a mantra where you say, I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm going to be a millionaire, I'm going to be, and it'll happen. No, this is not positive thinking. You understand? No mantra, right? What has been released by God in heaven? That's God's word in heaven. And he says, if you believe that, and you keep on saying what has been released in heaven, that actually shows your faith. It will be done. This mountain will go. This mountain will go. So let us take an example, and I'll talk about another personal example, but first let us take a biblical example, and let us talk about Abraham. Right? Oh, before that, before that, before that. Before that. Let me give you a quotation from Kenneth Hagin. This is not the Lord Jesus, Kenneth Hagin. And if you don't want it, that's all right. Okay? He said, become God inside-minded. That means inside, you believe God. God become God inside-minded. And then no person can rise above his confession. Faith can never rise above the words of your mouth. Confession precedes, comes before possession. Faith's confession creates reality. Now, he's not talking about, once again, the mantra. Huh? He's talking about God's word, all right? We don't go outside God's word, all right? Yeah, we stay within the confines of God's word, okay? So, he's talking about that. Now, let us look into the life of Abraham and see how it works out. I'm just going to go quickly. Look at Abram. Abram means exalted father. And Sarai. Sarai means princess. These two were getting on in age. And one day, in uh, Genesis 15, they were childless, of course. They were getting on in age. I mean, long time they were married. They were childless. And one day, the Lord told Abram, he said, Abram, come out of your tent. So he went out of his tent. Look, up, look, at, look at the stars. In a desert, you know, you won't see it in Bangalore, though the stars are there, but because of the smog, etc., you don't see the night sky properly. But in a desert, the, the air is clear, and I have been out at sea for many years, and I know that out at sea, when you look at the stars, the whole heavens is a canopy of stars. I would like to call it a carpet of stars, but I was corrected by somebody who was very good in English and told me, no, 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 carpet is what you stand on, canopy is on top. All right. <laughs> so look at the canopy of stars. I mean, it's like absolutely, you know, it's sparkling. All right. You can't see a small piece of sky without a star. You can't believe it when you see it. You know, I tell you in Bangalore, you don't see it. But when I was out at sea, I had to watch it. Oh my gosh. Full sky, sparkling with stars. Sparkling. Full sky. Look at it. And Abraham saw it and he went up and he says, Abi, this is going to be your descendants. Now he's 85. And his wife is 75. 10 years younger. 
and he saw it and he said okay all right i believe and god credited him as righteousness so thought, you know that's righteousness but i look at sarai you know i was thinking of that poor lady you know she's getting on and she's thinking well you know my husband got vision but i have to bear the children and so many and i'm getting on you understand and she's saying no chance i can't do it right i can't i can't do it and i feel for her you know i just really feel for this wonderful lady and she's okay take my servant and get that thing done man and so ishmael was born until today we are suffering from that thing it's a fact till today we are suffering because of that act of the flesh is not of faith it's not of faith it was an act of the flesh and the flesh will give birth to flesh you know until today we are suffering and god told and said that told and said it but anyway all these things were there for us to learn all right remember you can't force all these things don't ever try it man it's, it's not worth it all right it'll produce ishmaels now a long time passed just listen a long time passed and they were getting on in age and ishmael was born already and he was born when abraham was 86 he was 85 when he saw that 86 ishmael was born all right that is given in genesis chapter 16 now in genesis chapter 17 abraham was 99 years old if you read genesis chapter 17 you will see it he was 99 years old and sarai was 89 a long time and then god told him i'm going to change your name from abraham i'll make it abraham and from sarai i'm going to make it sarha now they have to call each other by that name except that this name has a joke behind it abraham means father of multitudes and sarha means mother of nations and they're getting on in age but they had to confess it so they said hello abraham hello sarah <laughs> sarah getting on but they had to confess it you see you got to see it you got to see it and what happened she got pregnant and when abraham was 100 years old and sarah was 90 years old she gave birth to isaac you see you got to believe in your heart the poor fellow believed when he was 85 but he didn't confess it but he believed in your heart and confess it with your mouth and he confessed it and so how does it apply to us because you know in every one of our lives we have problems and i had major problems believe me major and my wife and i humbled ourselves before god put the promises on our doorpost and said god this is what you said and i'm going to confess it i'm not going to believe what my eyes see i am going to confess your promises and every day we did it and you know what took place those problems and they were big problems they were blown to smithereens by god's word that's effective prayer they were blown to smithereens when i can tell you they were big mountains they were big big huge mountains 
I'm not at liberty to tell you what those mountains are, but I'll tell you one afterwards. I'll tell you one and you'll gasp. But they were blown to smithereens. And you know, my brothers and sisters, you know what makes a man of God and a woman of God? Faith. And as you pray effectively, you will see God wants you to be men and women of God. Each one of you here. Each one of you. He wants to give you victory everywhere. He wants to give you victory. I mean, He hasn't called you to give you defeat. He calls you to be men and women of God. Tell you, you become a man and a woman of God, you stand firm against the evil one and you will do great exploits. That's God's word for us. You will do great exploits. And so God taught us how to pray effectively out of necessity. Out of necessity. When everything was crumbling, absolutely crumbling, we prayed. We prayed. And God answered. Effective prayer. Broke, broke, broke that mountain. Mountain was blown to smithereens. And we saw it happen before our eyes and we give glory to God. But I'm going to tell you one particular example. But we'll go further. Well, I told you there are five components of the prayer of faith. And I've explained the five components of the prayer of faith. I'm going to talk about the next point, And that's what is meant by fervent prayer. I told you right in the beginning that effective prayer has four points. The first four points are the prayer of faith, which has five components. I've explained that. The second thing, it must be earnest or fervent. That's the second point, right? It must be earnest or fervent. The third point must be having good relationships. The fourth point must be walking hard after righteousness. So we come to the second point now. And that is, what is the meaning of fervent or earnest prayer? Now, let me tell you what it is not. It is not screaming and shouting. All right? That's just, volume is not proportional to fervent prayer. Greater the volume, greater the fervency. No. Right? You can make a big noise if you want to. Please go in the desert and do it. Because otherwise, the neighbor's going to get affected. And if you pray loudly, you know, in the church, your neighbor gets affected. That poor fellow or woman can't pray. You know, he gets disturbed because you're shouting. You might be having zeal and you might be praying very well. Nothing to do about your prayer except your neighbor can't pray. Right? So I've seen many people, you know, they pray loudly and other people can't pray. Just going to give up. Oh, let him have it. Let him pray. I'll say amen. That's all I can do. You know, that's all I can do. So pray fervently, but from your heart. And I'll talk about that. So volume is not proportional to fervency. You got the point? You understand? So what is fervent prayer? This is what I'm going to tell you. Fervent prayer means you've got to engage in prayer from your heart. You've got to engage. You know, driving a car, you have to put your clutch and take out your clutch. It's engaging the engine with the wheels. You understand? It's engaging. From your heart, you've got to engage. And I'll give you an example for my personal life. Then you will understand. Then I'll bring it from, uh, from the scriptures too. Engaging. From your heart. The example is this. My eldest daughter, Gia, four years ago, had a mighty problem in her life. What took place was, it was in March, that her husband, Ashley, he had a ruptured appendix. They were in Edinburgh, where Ashley was studying. 
and he had a ruptured appendix, and so he almost died. You know, my wife had gone there, and, and this happened in front of her, and he almost died. And he had to be cut up in three places, and his whole place had to be washed with brine and all sorts of things. But he survived. Right? That happened in March. Then in April, my daughter gave birth, Gia gave birth to a baby, and she had Coombs syndrome. Coombs syndrome is a blood disorder. She was going to die. Right? And he was poked with injections and injections and injections everywhere. It was hard to see. My wife was there, and she was really torn. Absolutely. Actually, she... She almost had a nervous breakdown with all these problems. You know, and two months she nursed that family. You know, she was there nursing them and seeing all that happen in front of her eyes. And after two months, she, gave, she took a breather and she came home. All right? We were staying in Bombay. And then next, uh, that happened in March, that happened in April, May was a breather, beginning of June. I got a phone call from my son, and he said, Dad, just sit down. Middle of the night, he phones me up. Dad, please sit down. I sat down. What happened? He said, Gia suffered from a brain hemorrhage, and she is in a coma. My wife said, I, I, I can't go. I said, she can't go. I said, I'm going. So I went. First time in my life, I've changed nappies and everything, but I did it over there. But that's not the point. The point is my daughter is in a coma. Yeah. And it broke my heart. Now, you see, I had to engage in prayer. You understand? Because it was survival. So in survival, you've got to engage. You've got to engage in prayer. Now, there was, you know, she was part of an excellent church, and I really would tell you why it is important to be part of a good church, you know, and plug inside a good church, because the prayers of the saints are there. And so she was part of, they were part of a very good church in Edinburgh, and the pastor became a friend of mine through all these problems. And what I saw was this church every day, I mean, Edinburgh is cold, okay? From 7 o'clock to 8 o'clock, every day, 100 people came inside to pray for Jia. 100 people, every day, they were engaging in prayer for survival. You understand? And I sent a message to everyone I know, you know. And I didn't send a message to Victor because I didn't know him so well. But he said, send a message saying, tell Ivan to send some prayer requests. We will pray also. People all over the world started praying. They were all engaging in prayer. For what? For survival. For survival. So anyway, by the grace of God, Gia was cleared. She came through. She's, she's happy around the place. She's jumping around and everything. She's okay. Right? The children came through. Every, everything, everything is alright. But I learned a lesson. And I learned the lesson from a remark that this pastor made. You know, he became a pal of mine and one day we were sitting down. He said, you know, Ivan, our church prayed hundred, hundred, hundred of them. Of course, he, I had to be showing gratitude. I said, his name was Matthew Clifton Brown. I said, Matt, thanks so much, man. Thank you so much. You know, really, I want to thank you. But Matt, I, I want to ask you a question. If you asked for revival, how many would turn up? Two old ladies would turn up. That's all. Not hundred. You see, 
for survival, we can engage. For revival, we can't engage. You understand? So, you see, I want to tell you the difference. Survival, our hearts, I mean, our hearts are engaged. For revival, it's there, yeah, it's okay, okay. So we don't, yeah, we must pray for the Lord, send us revival. That's all. That's all. You see, engaging in prayer means your heart is engaged. You understand? So, but sometimes I see a worship leader over here, and I can see him. He's engaging with God. He's engaging. And that's great. I want to encourage all of you to engage. Engage your heart. When you come here, you engage your heart with God. Now, in Psalm number 95, I'm bringing God's word. In Psalm number 95, this word engages there. So, I'm going to read out, and then I'll put up the verse. So, in the first verse, it says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before Him with thanksgiving and extol Him with music and song. Okay. So, this word, come, is let us approach. Now, Psalm number 95 is in the context where people from the villages are coming to the temple. Right? And so, they're telling each other, come on, let us approach let us approach God, and we must approach Him with thanksgiving, with joy, with singing, with dancing. And that's great, because they're coming to the temple. And they're coming inside. That word come in Hebrew is your lock. Your lock means approach. But as they come inside the temple, in verse 6, the scene changes. So let us put Psalm number 95. It says, oh, come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Now, yeah, the whole atmosphere changes from jumping and jumping. The, the scene changes. Come, let us bow down and worship. That word come is not your lock. It is bow. And bow means engage. Engage. When you come to worship, you engage. Oh God, oh God. What do you engage? You engage with God and engage with your funeral. You engage with your funeral. I learned it from Ravenel, Leonard Ravenel. And you know, when you hear these guys preach, these old timers, when they preach, man, your knees shake. You know, and as good guys, you know, they are good guys. They're Holy Ghost preachers. Engage with your funeral. Engage with your flesh. Your flesh has to be put to the cross because you're pursuing hard after righteousness. Do you understand? You're going to pursue hard after righteousness. So when you engage with God, you don't engage with hypocrisy. You engage with God and engage with the God. Oh God. And you know what happens? God will speak. And He says over here, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart. Today means at that time of engagement, God will tell you, look, that's where you need to apologize. That's where you need to repent. You know, all that sermons that you heard will suddenly come inside your, your heart. Because God is speaking as you engage with Him. As you engage with God. You see, fervent prayer is engaging with God and engaging with your funeral. Do you understand? That's known as fervent prayer. Right? Because our God is holy and He wants His children to be holy. And He knows we are weak and He will give you the grace. Don't coast with sin. Don't coast. Don't coast. He will give you the grace. He will give you power. The Holy Spirit will give you power to put your flesh on the cross. And you can confess at that time, you know, 
which make confession of God's word. Sin shall not be my master. That is God's word. Sin shall not be my master. If you are struggling with sin, sin shall not be my master. That's what God says. That's what he says. You old Ivan. That's what he says. Go down, you old Ivan. You know, we are engaging with God. Brothers and sisters, we engage with God with our hearts. When you come to worship, you engage with God. And you see the difference in your life. God comes and says, there's my son, there's my daughter. Even the angels watch you because they don't battle with flesh. Do you know that? They don't battle with flesh. Only you and I battle with flesh. They don't understand. And every time there is victory, whole heaven rejoices. Even a small victory, whole heaven rejoices. Whole heaven rejoices. You see? Oh, well, let's call fervent prayer. And then, fervent prayer has two components. The first component is, it must come from a heart that is engaged with God and engaged with your funeral. All right? It must come from a heart that is engaged with God and engaged with your funeral. The second point is, it must be persistent. Right? It must be persistent. You know? Don't give up. Don't give up. Right? Luke chapter 11, verses 9 to 13. So I say to you, ask and keep on asking and it will be given to you. Seek and keep on seeking and it will be, you will find. Knock! Keep on knocking, and the door will be open. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be open. God says, which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our God is willing. Our God is able. Our God loves us. He wants to give us good things. He enjoys giving us good things. He says, come, come to me, and I will give you these things. And then in Luke chapter 18, verse 1 to 8, the parable of the widow, he says over, then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared for men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So brothers and sisters, I'm going to leave this particular verse with you. But I want to tell you, God's desire for you is that you learn how to pray effectively. God's desire for you is that you will make much difference in your life, in the life of your family, in your life for generations to come. Generations to come. Our God is big. Generations to come. 
generations to come, you can make a difference in your prayer life. You can make a difference in the lives of your church, of your city, of your nation. With you, you are mighty in God. You are mighty. God says, you will firmly resist the devil. You will firmly resist him. You will do great exploits. That's the heritage of a son and daughter of God. Whether you're 8 years old or 80, it doesn't matter. Thank you for listening to this message. To know more about us, please visit www.adonai-ministries.com. 